Simply Earth Essential Oils have rescued my drama with essential oils. Listen, there's essential oils. I find them all over my house. They're like in my cabinets. They're in drawers. They're like 10 years old. What am I supposed to do with this stuff? Like rub it on my wrist, rub it on my eyelid. Am I supposed to eat this stuff? I never know what to do. But let me tell you, Simply Earth Essential Oils has fixed that for me. They have sent my family the last few months their recipe box. And in that recipe box is four pure essential oils, six recipe cards, and extras. I learned how to use the essential oils while making the recipes created by certified aromatherapists. I save money and it detoxifies my life. Okay, the essential oils alone would cost you over a hundred bucks from other companies, but with Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box, you get four pure oils, six recipes, and extra ingredients for only 39 bucks. Okay, using essential oils to support your wellness doesn't have to be overwhelming. Have fun making your home toxin-free with Simply Earth's Essential Oil Recipe Box. Plus, get a $40 gift card towards Simply Earth when you subscribe using our URL, simplyearth.com slash human hope. What is going on, Human Hope Familia? Welcome to another episode of Human Hope with your host, Carlos Enrique Whitiquet Guzman Archibol Cabello, or Los for short. We are hitting a very, very, very important episode because it's number 40. We are entering our midlife crisis as a podcast. 40 episodes in, uh, what, what does the podcast need to like... I don't know. Do we need to go buy a convertible now? Is that is that what happens when the podcast hits midlife? I don't know. But here we are, 40 episodes in. I'm so grateful that you guys have been hanging out with us for all of these conversations of hope. Some conversations are just kind of fun hope. Some are deep hope. Some are hope that come at the end of something hard. But I want to let you guys know that I know every single one of you guys are taking what you've been learning on these episodes and applying them. Thank you for listening and commenting so much on last week's episode episode with Carrie Newhoff. You guys, burnout is a real thing. I heard from so many of you and it, it can be exhausting just to be living in this season, right? Living in a season where things are dif- more difficult than maybe they have been in our entire lives. So let me tell you, today's episode is going to show you that no matter what, no matter how difficult it may seem that 2020 and 2021 has thrown us into in the midst of like racial unrest, in the midst of all of these things, there is still hope coming at the end. And today's conversation is going to be with my great friend and your soon to be great friend, Dante Stewart. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This conversation, it's one of the conversations that like I always say, hey, listen, give, give it the whole thing. Okay. I want you to listen to the whole thing. I don't want you to listen to 10 minutes. I don't want you to listen to 30 minutes. I want you to listen to the whole hour conversation because just like I do on my Instagram, Dante touches and pushes some buttons that may feel a little bit uncomfortable and he does it, but he comes back. I promise he comes back with a place and a, and, and, and a way that you can take some of the hard things you may have heard and apply some healing to not only your life, but people around you's life as well. Dante has written a book called shouting in the fire, an American epistle and Dante has lived a life already. I mean, he is like one of the most passionate, um, well thought out, well versed, educated black men that I know. And he comes hard. He comes correct, but he also comes with grace. He comes with grace knowing that the Human Hope family are allies and the Human Hope family want to partner on mission with him and the struggles that maybe um, him as a black man. Who who is married? He's actually married to an American service woman. Okay, he, he is he is a spouse of a service person in the United States of America. He talks about that. We get into all sorts of incredible things. We talk about what it's like to be married to um, to a service person. What what uh, why blacks in America are they as patriotic as people make them out to be when they uh, are servicemen and women when they're married to servicemen and women? What what does that really look like? Why do a lot of the black community join the service in the first place? It may surprise you, uh, may lead you 
to understand there may be different reasons than you initially thought. I mean, such mind-blowing things that I even never talked about. He was a college football player at Clemson University. So, you know, all you ACC fans, uh, I apologize if he was one of the people that beat your teams, uh, you know, during the mid-2010s. And um, we talk about that. We talk about just white evangelical culture and maybe how harmful it's been for blacks in that culture. I'm telling you, we, we, we get to all of the things that make you uncomfortable, but at the end, they're going to comfort you because it's going to show you that there is hope for us. There's hope. There's hope. And I'm so grateful that Dante stepped into the conversation with us. So without further ado, friends, let's hop in this conversation with our new friend, Dante Stewart. Dante Stewart in the Human Hope House. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, family? How you doing? So glad that you are here. Um, listen, I've been, I, I'm so excited that we get to have this conversation. And, um, you know, on the Human Hope Podcast, this podcast is all about giving people hope. Um, but sometimes we have to realize that you can't have hope without needing hope, right? Like, like if we didn't need hope, then, then, then there would be no basis for looking for it. But the reason why we have to look for hope is because the world is broken. And the reason why we have to look for hope is, is the world is damaged. And what I love about you, Dante, and ever since I've been getting to know you the last couple of years is you are, are a breath of, of hope, honestly, to um, every single person when you walk into a room. And I, I just want, I want the Human Hope family to get that from you today. We're going to talk about some fun things. We're going to talk about some hard things. We're going to talk about some things that are difficult to hear. But I just want, before we even get into those topics, I want you to introduce yourself to the family. I want you to let us know who you are, where you live. Tell us a little bit about your family uh, and let, let us yeah. fall in love with you for just a second. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, my name is Dante Stewart. So many people call me Stu or they call me Dante now that I got a book out. Now everybody kind of introducing me as Dante Stewart uh, and things like that. But the people who in some sense know me in various areas of life, a lot of people call me Stu. So I'm from South Carolina, okay. uh, from country, country part of South Carolina. I mean, like, and I mean in country in a sense of you know, where the best, I always tell people where the best food is at the gas station where we get chicken yes. and hot sauce, okay, uh, potato wedges <laughs> with the honey mustard. Uh, uh, so I'm from there and I did my school at Clemson. So I'm a okay. graduate of Clemson University uh, where I studied sociology and where I met my wife, uh, wow. uh, Jasmine, who we've been married uh, for a while now, going on eight years. Eight years. Um, now. Yeah. Eight wow, years. You're, you're like a professional. Like, you're a professional. I know, I know, right? They say, don't they say like, once you hit that five-year mark, like now you can write a book on marriage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I need somebody to give me a deal for a marriage book, you know? <laughs> I call it like Guy Raz, how I built, how I built this. Or something there like we that. go, there we go, um, yeah. So, yeah, I played football at Clemson, and once we got done with ball- um, Did you play football at Clemson when they, when they were good? Or did you play football at Clemson? Yeah, we were good. No, okay, we were good. okay. We, well, actually, actually, when I came in in 2010, it was like on the back end of our kind of bad years. Yeah. Uh, where in 2009, it was it was kind of tough, but then we went to the yeah. AC Championship, and then 2010, I mean, it might have been, we might have went like six and seven, but then Let's 2011, um, that's when we, um, in 2011, yeah, was when we won the AC Championship. Okay. And then, okay. And that was kind of history. History. And then, yeah. Then, so. at, at that point, everyone was like, "Wait yeah. a second! Here comes Clemson." Yeah. And then, yeah. and then y'all just been stepping on people ever since. Yeah, and you know what's crazy is is what what really turned it around, bro. Was in 2011 when we won. Crazy thing, bro. We won an ACC championship, right? Turn around and then go down to Miami, where we going to uh, play West Virginia in the, in the, um, in the Orange Bowl. And we get smacked 70 to 33, dog. Oh, Lord have 70, mercy. 70 to 33. Tavon Austin put up like 500 yards on us, bro. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he was he was going ham. And then after that, bro, we we kind of, we we went back in the summer. We had to kind of really do some soul yeah. searching. Uh, yeah. so, we went, so we went back in the summer and doggone was like, yo, it's time to play football. Um, whatnot. So that's that's me. And then I write, yeah. you know, I'm a writer and I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor here uh, in, in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. At the historic Tabernacle Baptist Church, where I'm digital pastor and I do okay. content and stuff like that. So that's me. 
So you're you're Hopefully actually people fell in love. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm in love with you now. I'm I'm in love with you. <laughs> there may be some uh, some Alabama fans or Georgia fans that you know have turned off the podcast at this point. But besides that, hey, you know, Georgia's I, you doing know, good though. I think I Georgia's know. the team to beat this year. Oh, nah, they are. I think they're the team to beat. Yeah, I, they, they, I, I was a little worried this weekend when they were playing Tennessee, and I looked up at the scoreboard like the first 15 minutes. I was like, hey, what's happening? But um, <laughs> okay, so you're in Augusta, Georgia now. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Augusta. Okay. We've been here since 2015. So my wife okay. is Air Force. So she's in the Air Force. Oh, she is. So now, yeah, 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 yeah. So my wife is in the Air Force. And so I'm the dependent. So many people actually don't know that about me. Yeah, is that's, that I'm this a, is uh, good. Uh, that, I, that we're military, that we're meal fam. And so. And, and you're, yeah, the, you're so, the spouse and, and the to the military so much of what I write and things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. I mean, let, let's just start there. Let's just, yeah. let's start there. Okay. So, I mean, here we are the, as of this recording. It is, let's see, uh, November 15th, 2021, when we're recording this podcast. And mm-hmm. um, Veterans Day was this last week. Veterans Day was, mm-hmm. was this last Indeed. week. And, and so, you know, as the, as the spouse of a military member, like, like, give me some of your thoughts as to, you know, just what, what it means to be married to somebody that is serving this country. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess the best way to say it's, it's complicated. In a yeah. Sense. So yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, we have to talk about the, the, the ways in which we, our, our family members go into the military. Okay. You know, we, we, we all don't enter the military for the same reasons. Some mm-hmm. of us enter, some people enter, you know, because, you know, they want to, they, they have ideas of country that they want to serve, you know? Right. Uh, some people, some people enter, you know, just because they want to go to school and and, yeah. and they want to get health care and dental care. Yeah. And so we have to talk about the different ways that people kind of go into the military. But then also we have to talk about the different ways that people exist in a country while they serve in the military. So, well, I mean, I'm let, even thinking, let's just uh, go there right away. OK, let's go. We're, yeah, we're in deep. Yeah, let's yeah, go. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking because so many of my friends, bro, we I, I was working out one of my friends a month ago, about a month and a half ago, a former service member. Um, and, and, he, and he's just joking, right? Hey, but it's, it was kind of funny. Like it was funny, yeah. but it, he was, it, it was serious where he was like, man, he was like, bruh, he was like, and he was inf- infantryman fighting for, <laughs> okay, he was okay. over in, in the Middle East. Uh, yeah. and he was like, yo, I ain't never in my time serving met a patriotic black person. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so he was like, I ain't never met no patriotic black person that's talking about, I just want to go over there and fight, you know, things <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> and so, and so, uh, we was laughing, but that, that's just the reality, bro. It's wow. like, you know, it's like, it's much like playing football where, where you are part of a family you know, when you put on uniform, but you got to deal with a different reality once you get out of uniform as well. And yeah. so I think one of the, I, I love it though. I would, I would not change anything about the way our stories have converged together, especially uh-huh. when it comes to, you know, America and, 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 and service and things like that. Cause I come from a military family. Yeah. Um, and so my grand, my granddaddy, um, service member, my uncles, cousins, uncles, uh, distant family members all have served in the military in some capacity um, and things like that. But then also, I think one of the challenges is when, you know, we, we, when the country that we serve in oftentimes does not serve us, but then also as a, as a spouse of a service member, I can say things that my wife cannot say. Wow. And also I have to be mindful of the things that I say as well. Yeah. Um, as it relates to, to, to my wife and her job. So, cause my wife is in Intel as well. So, okay. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So man, I mean, just, just sitting on that for a second and hearing, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to hear, hear what you just said and it's going to be an aha moment because there is a, I think a common misconception that all of our military it's especially like, like I, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, this weekend I'm seeing all these, like, you know, serve the military, um, five K's and there's all these races around, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in Nashville mm-hmm. and like, like, you know, everyone's like, my wife and I stumbled across a, a race where it was, it was for veterans day. And, you know, everyone's like running the five K in their, in their boots and their rucksacks and they're, and they're all carrying American flags. Right. And they're, they're kind of, um, yeah. and there, there is this, you know, there's the, there's a mystique that that goes along with uh, veterans and goes along with people that are serving currently in the military. And I think mm-hmm. what 
what you just said, probably the, the biggest aha moment to me is like, wait a second, not everybody that's in the military like signed up because that they, they have this passion to serve their country and they want to get an American flag tattooed mm-hmm. on their left bicep. And they are, um, you know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're walking into the recruitment office with, um, you know, I'm proud to be an American uh, uh, blasting mm-hmm. on their, in their headphones. And that a lot of times people that are signing up for the military are signing up because the military is a great place to get taken care of and to get some benefits Indeed. that quite possibly you won't be able to get because of your status and because where you're from and because where you're, you know, mm-hmm. coming from. So, so, um, you, you, you touched on it and I, and I know you have to be careful and I can, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that and I can understand that, but, um, mm-hmm. talk to us, j- just, just maybe dig in a little bit deeper on that facet mm-hmm. of how maybe, you know, you're joking with your black friend that's in the infantry um, but, but how a black man, now you're, you're a spouse, but may feel, or black woman may feel complicated when it comes to like, wow, like, you know, I'm supposed to feel, I'm, people are, are trying to impose upon me when these American celebrations happen that I'm supposed to somehow stand up and be super mm-hmm. patriotic. Um, when it's, it's mm-hmm. just a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Bruh. Hey, and and the real bro, I don't put my hand on my chest for the flag. Like, wow. like the, I don't, I don't say the, I don't, I don't say those things. Like, wow. Like, I'm proud to be an American, but we have to be, we have to be honest about, you know, does I'm I'm proud to be an American, but does my country make m- me proud and what it has been and what it means for us? Wow. So I'll I'll stand up, you know, yep. in some sense, but out of respect, simply because. You know, our country put people in situations that they never should have been in in the first place. Mm. Um, and, and and that represents the complicated nature. For, and, and that that represents that's cross demographic right there. Sure. Yeah. You know, everybody, when do when you when when you, you know, exist in a country and in a society that oftentimes put you in situations where you, you have to you're forced to make decisions for yourself and other people that you yeah may not have made in any other given circumstance. And that That's decision repre- represents a sort of ultimacy. Everybody is affected by that. Um, yeah. But then we have to deal with not everybody is affected the same way. Right. And so right. when we think about, when we think about the military and then we start thinking about race and class and sexuality and gender and, 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 and we actually, and even religion, yeah. we start thinking about, those things we have to also think about the ways in which you know certain demographics are protected yep. in ways that other people are not yeah uh and so there there exists on one one side pain you know for for certain mm-hmm. demographics on the other side you know certain demographics are protected and so for me <clears throat> when i think about that 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 challenge bro i think about the myths of of, yeah. of our country, and I and I re- I was reading a really good book. I I, I I suggest this book to so many people. Yeah, um, it's What's it's it? by Richard Hughes. It's called Myths America Lives By. Wow. And one and one of the things that he notes is that you know a myth is not just simply a fictitious story, mm. um, in a sense, or, or a lie or things like that. We got to kind of go in, into antiquity and think about you know doing this kind of word study of the word myth and and antiquity myth was not a lie, but it represented a story that gave people meaning. Mm-hmm. And so myths are oftentimes connected to symbols. Yes. And symbols are often connected to who we believe matter and who we believe does not matter. And so when we think about the symbols uh, of our country, uh, whether it be the flag, whether it be the Bible, whether it be the boundary as it relates, represents the country line, you know, and immigration and things like that, these symbols always te- tell a deeper story uh, of what a God professor out of Princeton yeah. uh, calls the value gap. Wow. Where uh, in this country, you know, the value gap is that for, for, for this country and for our history, you know, white lives and white pains and white protection matter more than, than everybody else. And so these myths, you know, that Richard Hughes lays out, whether it be thinking about this country as a Christian nation yeah. or it's a nation that must lead the world and things like that. Oftentimes we need we don't take into account as as citizens, you know, who benefits from those myths. Right. And who right. in some sense are the recipients of those myths brutality. Wow. And so uh, yeah, that's that that represents the, the challenge for me, you know, but then also an opportunity because 
You know, as Nicole Hannah Jones writes in 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 the opening essay of the, in the opening essay of the the New York Times sixteen nineteen project, I think it's brilliant in the sense that she says, you know, black people have always been the perfectors of democracy, and when we look in history, mm. you know, there has always been. You know, if there has been a war that needs to be fought, if there has been a need that's need been to be met, if there's been, you know, a struggle that's need to be talked about, uh, even though we live in a country, as my granddaddy did, born in the early 30s, having to live uh, through the through the wars and through the depression yeah. and even serve in the military and, and serve in segregated barracks and things like that, we have found ways to show up, not because we believe so much in the idea of American innocence or the idea of democracy, but that we have so believed in the reality and the value of our humanity and the possibility of something, a better story being told of our country and of ourselves that we have chosen to show up, to resist, to deconstruct, to to reconstruct and to re-narrate this story that so many people hold dear to themselves, even though that story fundamentally erases us. Yeah. Wow. No, that is, that is so good. And, you know, and, and hearing, hearing you speak to that, I want to get into um, the crux of your story these days. Um, and, and one of the, one of the, one of the main reasons besides, you know, you can talk about, I, I trust you to talk about all of these subject matters, not only because I appreciate you as a person and as a friend, but you've done the work, you've, you, you've done the research, you, um, you, you've put it all into, um, into a book and your book is called Shouting in the Fire. An American epistle, and you know, I, and I love the um, the the first line of of kind of the explanation of what the book is. It says that you give a breathtaking you give breathtaking language to your reckoning with the legacy of white supremacy, both the kind that hangs over our country and the kind that is internalized on a molecular level. Now, wh- why I love that word molecular level <laughs> is because what you've done is like you, you have, you have in one, in one sentence, what that does is it, it's like, listen, white supremacy is not just that big banner that you see, that you could oh, yeah. see hanging over us. Like, Oh my gosh, like that is, there's a guy with a white mask um, with a burning cross in his yard. That is white supremacy. But the reason why I love the word molecular is because white supremacy can go all the way down to the most invisible, tiny form of um, the, the tiniest form. And I want you to lean into, first of all, the question is, why did you write a book on this? Where did it come from in mm-hmm. your story? Mm. Mm, great question. Great question. I think, I think really what led to me writing the book is, you know, this, this, this Tony Morrison quote is just u- utilized so many times, but yeah. I mean, it just represents, the, just, it's just a good quote um, where Morrison says, you know, if there's a book that you haven't, that, that, that you want to read that you haven't read yet, then you must write it. You know, that's loosely kind of using Tony Morrison's words. And I think that's real. It's like, you know, for me, I, I didn't, you know, there are many books written that wrestle deeply with uh, race, with religion, with politics, with American society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't, I haven't read a book just yet that that puts the question the way my book characterizes the question, which is, what does it mean to be black and American and Christian and yeah. how does one wrestle with the ways in which those identities intersect in the most beautiful and terrible ways possible? And so I uh, wanted to kind of in, 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 in inspiration from Audre Lorde, uh, the poet and thinker and, and just brilliant Audre Lorde. She, she writes in her book, Zombie, uh, which is kind of an autobiographical text. Um, she writes, you know, I remember what it was like to be young and black and gay and lonely. Hmm. And so she she separates each one of those identities, not with a comma, but with the word and okay. in order that the reader can say these identities are individual individual experiences, but they also represent an interlocking reality that wow. oftentimes is not good in society, but oftentimes they represent ways in which we recreate ourselves and become life giving. Wow. So if indeed, you know, as I became because I'm not the hero of the story. I'm just right, the one who tells right, it. Right. And so to write memoir, I had to write an honest story. And I had to, to in some sense, you know, put myself underneath the gaze yeah. of 
becoming black American and Christian, but also becoming the worst of that type of identity because I mm-hmm. did, yeah. you know, especially as I think about when I, from growing up Pentecostal to going to Clemson and getting involved in white Christian churches and, and, and even going into uh, the belly of the beast and seminary in, in, yeah. in, in the evangelical uh, conservative seminary, but then also um, leaving and going back to the black church space that, that represented for me a certain type of story that I knew I needed to tell because I knew that so many people either were entering into that story, yeah. living in that story, uh, uh, and, and trying to navigate it, or people have left and trying to pick up the pieces that were broken mm. along the way. Wow. And so in some sense, if we have to talk about my book and hope, in some sense, for me, I wanted to take hope and almost destroy it and let something beautiful come in in the end. So it's yes. almost like, it's almost like if we think about hope as a cocoon, yeah. you know, oftentimes, you know, whatever happens inside, we don't get a picture to see what happens. Yeah. But we know yeah. that what comes out on the other side is something that's alike what yes. it went into, but yes. also different and something that that's just not stagnant on a yep. tree hanging, yep. but something that can go wherever it wants to go. Yes. And so for me, I wanted to re-narrate that story to say I wanted to bring it inside of the cocoon and yeah. allow us to go inside and see what happens, which is a complex and complicated story. Yeah. But when we come out on the other side, whatever way we need to fly, yeah. we'll fly whatever way we need to go. No, that's that's so good. Okay, so let, let's do this. Let's talk about why there needs to be hope. And so like blow up the hope for a second and then rebuild the hope <laughs> yeah. um, in, two, in two spaces. Yes. Okay. Let, let, let's, let's do this yeah. in two spaces. Cause I think this is going to be important. Cool. I want to, I want to first, cool. um, we good. Hey, Lose, let me pee real quick. Let me yeah. Yeah. Quick. You, you do your thing. St- my bad. Yeah. My bad. You, do, I you, do, you, you can edit that out, right? <laughs> oh no. I'm going to keep that I've in there. This, this is real. Okay. This is real. Bro, Los, I had to pee for like 10 minutes, dog. <laughs> I swear. Get, get out of here. Go pee. Go pee. for like 10 minutes. Do one second, bro. You guys have heard me talk about Thistle Farms before. I love them. They create a safe space for healing and hope for women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. And let me tell you why they call themselves Thistle Farms. Because the thistle, it grows in the streets and the alleys where these women of Thistle Farms have walked. It's considered a weed by many, but thistles have deep roots that can shoot through concrete and survive the drought just like these survivors have done. And I love what they do. They literally change lives. And I love the candles that they make, that these survivors are thriving and making. I got one right next to me right now in front of my laptop because it gives me that vibe and it smells so good. So whenever you guys support Thistle Farms, you're actually supporting so much more. I want you to head to thistlefarms.org and I want you to use the code Human Hope. That's H U M A N H O P E for 15% off. And they'll know that Carlitos sent you. And before we hop back into our conversation with Dante, we got a new partner on Human Hope, Stamps.com. Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during these holidays. Whether you're selling online, running an office, or a side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. You get to access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip. Listen, if you go to the post office instead of using stamps.com, it's like taking the stairs instead of the escalator. If you're just gonna go up a couple floors, that's fine, take the stairs. If you gotta go 30, you could use a break. You'll save so much money and time, and you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. Go to stamps.com and use the promo code HUMANHOPE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale with no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top, and enter the code human hope. Oh, wow. So, you know what? I, I am about to uh, turn this off. We're, I'm going to keep talking to you guys for a second because while Dante is going to relieve himself, these are the hard conversations that I'm so appreciative that, you know, I, I would say maybe 20 minutes into this, some of you guys may be thinking, I mean, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, I, this is making me feel uncomfortable. And Yes, please stay in that uncomfortable space. No healing ever happened in comfort, right? Like that absolutely has never, you've never found somebody that has been healed through comfort. Like there's been pain and that's why it has to, Dante's coming back. He is sitting down. 
He's putting his headphones in. I've never seen a face of a more relieved man in my entire life. (laughs) Bruh, I had to pee so bad, dog. I swear, I've been hydrated and everything, so... Yo, it's it, it so caught, good. It caught me slipping, bro. That's so I good. No. And I can't think when I got to pee, bro. I can't think, I know. Think, bro. I know. Listen, it's the worst. <laughs> the, I've been I've been in your exact seat where you're like, oh, I got to go. Can we, can we just stop this? And, and th- this is what I love about this. I am not editing that thing out. That was the most real moment you've oh, ever heard. Man. You got you got you got these beautiful thoughts coming out of Dante, and then the whole time now we we get to think back like that man's had to pee the whole time he's been saying those so eloquent things. Beautiful round of applause. Yeah, for you, Dante. Indeed. So proud indeed. of you, man. Um, okay, so listen, <laughs> I um, I kept talking cool. while you were gone because I, I I want people to sit in that uncomfortable tension. I want to let people, you know, you said a yeah. few things already that probably some of my listeners are uncomfortable with, but I, I I want them to sit in that discomfort because no healing ever comes out of a place of comfort. If if you're if you need healing, that means that something was painful, and so you know, so 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 I want everyone to sit in that in whatever tension that they're in as we, as we continue to have this conversation and where I was getting at is that what I want you to do in two facets is I wanted, I want to dismantle the hope because for a lot of black Americans, when they look at the white evangelical conservative church, they, they, they see a very uh, painful place for them. And and a lot of my listeners are 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 sitting in in those churches right now, and they're thinking, "Well, I don't understand. Like, like I mean, this place gives me hope every single week, you know." And so, what I want to do is, I want mm-hmm. to I, I want mm-hmm. to dismantle for them why it is you and I, because both you and I have existed in the white evangelical yeah, megachurch space, okay? Um, indeed. And 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 I probably am am still speaking in that more so than, than mm-hmm. um, a lot of my other black brothers and sisters are because I, I, I feel called to that space right now. But I, I mm-hmm. want to dismantle mm-hmm. that hope and I want to rebuild that hope. But then I also mm-hmm. want you to talk about um, for, for the, the black Americans that are listening to this, that, that have left completely wounded and, and are, are, mm-hmm. are walking back into um, the more historical black churches um, that, mm-hmm. that let's be honest, possibly they left because there was some wounding that happened to them there, right? Like, like it's, it's not like the the historical black. Yeah, it's not like the historical black church yeah, I, is. I can, oh yeah, no. I know, I know. We can, we can. You can write a whole book on that, I right? Could, like, I can literally. Yeah, yeah. So let's yeah, do that. Let, what's crazy is. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go tell me what's crazy. I got my thought. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, what's crazy is like even in my book, bro. Like, you know, I had because my book starts in my Pentecostal church as a yeah. kid, but then there, there, there are moments in my book where. <clears throat> You know, where I tell this story in the chapter womb, where where I use the line, you know, in church, you know, we we learned what bodies were meant to be loved and what bodies were meant to yeah. be hated. Yeah. Um, because in this in this particular story, um, and and in some sense, this is going to allow me to springboard back to yeah. w- w- what you were talking about, what you were asking in the beginning, is that in 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 that story, I tell the story of when I was younger, and you know, um, where where it was this kid that that we that we call gay that we thought was gay. Yeah. And then the guys, the young dudes, they start chasing them and beating them up. And I joined them with it, Wow, you know, in some sense. And then, and then, uh, even, even younger, I used to hang my hand as, as a kid and, and it was like, uh-huh. you know, don't hang your hand, you know, don't walk fast and switch and things like that. So they, there were always these kind of, you have to prove who you're not mm. as, as, you have the, your your worth and your proving of who you're not yeah. is in, in prox, approximation to standards of masculinity, yeah. or in the in the sense of evangelicalism, uh, your your standards of Christian orthodoxy that your worth is 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 either garnered or lost. How well you can approximate to a standard nobody can wow. achieve. Wow. And wow. so in the white evangelical church, that represented you know, in some sense, trying to uh, 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 approximate to that which they believe to be normal. Yeah. And so whenever whenever you normalize something, then that represents the possibility of otherizing another person. Wow. And whenever you otherize another person, then you marginalize their reality. Yeah. When you marginalize their reality, you dehumanize their ability to be free. Wow, and so as uh, I think it was Abraham Joshua Heschel, or, or one great Jewish philosopher that said, you know, it might have been Eli Wiesel, 
Yeah. That that if you if you can get people to believe absurdities, then you can get them to commit atrocities. Wow. And I think in some sense, when we think about uh, my, my experience and your experience in, in the white Christian space, what 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 tends to happen is who in some, people fail to realize what is normal. Number one. Yeah. Uh, uh, they take for granted how normal what were you talking about preaching? Yeah. or worship practices sure. or theological frameworks or yeah. who we read or who we listen to. And we never really take into account why is it in those spaces, everybody, it seems that God only loves and celebrates white straight men mm. or people who sound like white straight men. Like, wow. like just not even putting morality on it. Now, I ain't yeah. even put morality on that question. Yeah. Just simply as a way of social analysis, thinking about what do we see? Because that's that's the first, as my professor, Dr. Fluker says, that is the first ethical question. What do I see? The mm-hmm. second main ethical question is what is going on? Right. And so if we think about what do we see and uh-huh. asking what is going on, we have to be like, why is this the case that it seems and not just seems, but it is just by wit- by, by virtue of our experience, you know, the, the, the why is it that, you know, white straight men seem to be the only one who can speak for God, mm-hmm. you know, or who can show people the way to, to, to connect with God or, or, or talk about, you know, you know, the church. And so for me, how did I like thinking about this mantling hope, bro? Like hope is always either given or taken away in in some sense in 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 the context of power dynamics. Okay, you know, and and, and I'm I'm a, I'm a bring I'm a bridge okay. theology. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And 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 and, and, and other disciplines because I think you know we need we need to in some sense think about you know if we want to change the world that we live in, then we need to change the voices that we listen to. Yeah, and so if in some sense like the voices that we've been listening to have not said anything that was of value in shaping the world that harms other people, yeah. then it's possible that we need better voices to tell a different story yeah. than the one that we have inherited. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, in, in white Christian spaces, you know, and this hope, hope in some sense always like was in this abstract. It was always hope that Jesus would come sometime to change the present. Uh-huh. But never really hoped that Jesus was at work changing the present right now. Wow. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, in some sense, which meant that whenever Jesus wanted to talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus never talked about in the context of the kingdom of God. He never <clears throat> talked about something in the abstract. Jesus always talked about the lives and utilized the lives of people that was around us to testify to what God is doing in the world. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. I simply wanted to say, well, the kingdom of God is like Black Lives Matter. Doing the same thing that Jesus said. Well, the kingdom of God is like James Baldwin doing this, this, this. And so whenever we think about those stories, what that is doing is is taking hope away from the power dynamic that allows certain demographics to believe that they are the center of God's world and to lean into the creation narrative to say that creation was not an idea of the past, but it must be an ethical reality in the present. Mm. And if I believe that people are created in the image of God, then I cannot create them in the image of those who oppress them. Mm-hmm. And so if the, if if indeed that is an image that oppresses them, then we need to take on new images. We wow. need to take on new voices. <clears throat> and so hope must not be this abstract reality, but it must be a practice in our lives in the present yeah. that changes how we name, see and act within the world. And in some sense, when Jesus, I keep thinking about Jesus. One one of the things, you know, Jesus says in John 10, 10, we quote this joint all the time. And this is why I love the Bible. You know, we we quote this joint all the time, bro. We say, you know, you know, Jesus come that we might have life and life to the full. And it sounds great. Right. Right. But oftentimes we fail to deal with that which destroys life in the Mm -hmm. line that came before. The enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I have come. You know, good Bible scholars was called that, you know, a a shift in perspective. Right. You know, but I have come that people, that humanity may have life and life into the full. 
So if our hope does not deal with the ways in which people are destroyed, things are stolen from them mm-hmm. and their dreams, their hopes and their humanities are killed. Yeah. If it don't deal with that, then it's not the type of hope that is linked to what Jesus meant that people that he came, that people <clears throat> may have life and life yeah. to the fullest capacity. Wow. And so, Wow. Yeah. So okay. that's the beginning of how I, I, I yeah. Yeah. How no, no, that's good. That. Okay. So, so man, that's the, we we could we could stop sorry, the podcast sorry. right there and 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 just have people <laughs> marinate on that for just yeah I I just I just appreciate you so much you were wise beyond your years and um I I want to I want to go back to when you're at Clemson uh, and and put some put some mm-hmm. skin on this um I want to put oh, some yeah. skin on this and and when you start stepping into um the the white evangelical space in America mm-hmm. and and. When uh, you you start probably as as I'm I'm assuming I you did as I did as well being um you, you start to stay, step in these spaces and when you're a um a, as a black man when you are eloquent when you um are 100 you, you, you and 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 you can you can eloquently deliver something to uh, a white audience in a way that makes them feel things suddenly there you start to be um, coddled and you start to be celebrated and you, oh, st- yes. and it feels good, right? It yes. feels good as a black man to be like, yes. wow, like look at these white churches inviting me in. Look at the, oh, these white people really mm-hmm. love me. Like this is, this is amazing. Like, b- because what I found in my story is I was, I, I was speaking to things to the life, to the full, I guess uh, to go back to your mm-hmm. similar to John 10, 10, like I was, I was letting them know what, what life to the full feels like. They were, they loved the way I spoke. They loved the way um, I humored them. They laughed and they cried. Um, mm-hmm. And then there, there came a shift in for at least for me and I'm assuming for you as well when structures in America began to shift and more conversations began to be elevated about black lives and more conversations began to be elevated about white supremacy when suddenly our conversations as black men in white evangelical churches began to say hey 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 white friends which we we have plenty of them and we love them. Look over here for a second, um, because what I want you to see is this reality that's happening as well. It's like those were impossible conversations to have because suddenly the same people that we were appeasing their ears were no longer mm-hmm. interested in our conversations. Talk to me about mm-hmm. your um, mm-hmm. your reality when that shift began mm-hmm. to happen in the white space. Oh yeah. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, and and in some sense, like you, you're right. It happened at Clemson, okay. Where oftentimes, you know, number one, when we think about f- athletics, yeah, those people who have closest proximity to athletes are always white evangelicals. Wow, you just got to be straight up about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. those who are given access to athletes, whether it be institutionally, where you're talking about fellowship of Christian athletes, or okay. where you're talking about individuals, you're talking about pastors and ministry leaders. Those people are somehow, some way wow. connected to and invested in white evangelical life. And 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 we I've never about thought about that, that, but it's so true. No, it is true. It's it's absolutely true. Like it's incredibly true. And in some sense, those who those who don't represent that narrative are not heard. And so this, in some sense, represents the, the reality that you were speaking to, that in these white spaces, there are certain there are only certain expressions of our humanity that are valued. And usually those expressions of humanity, especially talking about black people in white spaces are those who in some sense, look, feel sound and act like what is deemed to be normal. Yeah. Uh, Rather than, rather than in some sense, critically examining why is this normal? Right. And so when I think about when I went in that spaces, bro, it was like, some of us go to escape, which I did. Uh-huh. You know, some of us go to escape. Some of us go to to reach a, to to reach a certain type of, you know, success mm-hmm. uh, or, or or claim. So, uh, and this is in some sense the I would say the internalized anti blackness and white supremacy that many of us from 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 younger from when when we we're younger in rural spaces we 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 inherit the story that in order for us to be successful and to make it in life yeah. we have to be in closest proximity to those spaces that are dominated uh, wow. either institutionally wow. or intellectually by white thought or white mm-hmm. ideas 
they just, people don't just call it that. And so that's the internalization of that story from being young. And so some of us go to escape, some of us go to, to reach success. And some of us, you know, in some sense, you know, we just, just go, you know, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> we like football, you know, right. like things like that. Or, or, or maybe some people just go, you know, because they like, they, they, they like, the worship music or, yeah. or they like coffee before they go to church, you know, but then also we have to, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like some, some people just, just go, but then, but then we have to wrestle with when we go. Yeah. What happens when we get there? Yeah. And who is that person that people are imagining once that person leaves? Right. And I think, and I think when I, when I went into those spaces, you know, one of the things that, that, that happened to me was, you know, this praise, this kind of white celebration and white praise that, you know, that, that like you were speaking to, like you're able to articulate things, uh, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're charismatic and it's usually, yeah. you know, like, like black men who are charismatic, who can wear skinny jeans and talk about the office and things like that. It's just like, <laughs> like it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, talk about the office and got dog on uh, what, what show is that? Like, what's that little baby, the family guy? You yeah. can talk about family guy or the office, you know, or something like that. Talk about the walking dead, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and that, you know, that, I mean, let's just be honest, like that is celebrated, like, <laughs> like white, white people in evangelical churches love that, you know? I mean, it's, yeah, it, it is yeah. what it is, you know? It, it just is what it is, bro. And, we have to, and this for me, man, what would change is that made me become a terrible person. Mm. Like it, it made me devalue where I came from. Wow. It made me destroy uh, my blackness. It made wow. me in some sense distance myself from the people who made me. Wow. And then when things started happening yep. where- you know, black people are dying in the street and publicly. Yep. And then I was in the white church through Donald Trump. Uh-huh. You know, I started to, I was, I was somebody, I ain't going to lie, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot it straight, bro. Yeah. Like I was somebody who, I was somebody who was like, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a whole dog on a essay on reconciliation and unity. Yeah. You know, and, and I was gung ho about this idea of reconciliation and unity, but what, it, what, what happened was when when Philando Castile and Alton Sterner was murdered. Yeah. Let me pick this back up because I got to get my charger. Yeah, go do, uh, go do it. For yep. my computer. Yep. Okay, so I'm cutting out for the second time. Okay, Y'all okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 my charger. <laughs> I, Dante, Dante actually, because he has to use the restroom in the middle of the podcast and forgets his charger, he gives us natural breaks where we can talk about our partners, but this isn't actually even a partner. This is just a friend with a podcast. Latasha Morrison is a close friend of mine. She's got a podcast called Be The Bridge. And listen, it aligns perfectly with our conversation today. Latasha Morrison is a best-selling author and award-winning author. She's a bridge builder, a reconciler, and a compelling voice in the fight for racial justice. In 2016, she founded Be The Bridge to equip ambassadors of racial reconciliation. This podcast is another step in cultivating conversation that will hopefully lead to real and lasting change. The vision at Be The Bridge is that people and organizations are aware and responding to the racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world, that people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth, and that all are equipped to flourish. Episodes release every other Tuesday. A few of my favorite episodes, episode 208 with Beth Moore, episode 225 with Lecrae, and episode 209 where she gets deep into critical race theory. Why is this a repeat of history with Dr. Christina Edmondson and Jamar Tisby? Check it out. Be the bridge with Latasha Morrison. Now back to the man without a charger, Dante Stewart. Here we go. So for me, man, in, in some sense, what, what what started to change was when Alton Sterling Philando Castile was murdered, uh -huh. I was preaching, teaching, leading in a white church. Yeah. And then Donald Trump happened and I'm leading a group. And what what I found out, bro, it's, it's one thing, you know, to be around white people. You know, it's another thing to live with white people in the context yeah. of our society. And that represented a new way of thinking in a sense of it was not just simply like the invisibility of our deaths. Yeah. 
but it was like the apathy apathy towards our lives mm. that really bothered me. Yeah. And the leadership kept saying, you know, hey, be patient with them. Be patient with them. Be patient with them. And I'm like, okay, I'm patient and things like that. But then, you know, then hostility moved in. Mm. So when I started not just talking about the way we die, but the systems that kill us. Yeah. And the realities that kill us and the ways in which, you know, these things devalue us. Yeah. Like, it was not just apathy, bro. It was hostility. Mm. And so for me, when I went to leadership, bro, like, then it got turned on me that, hey, you're the person who's the distraction. You're the person who's damaging to the community. You're the person who's not patient. You're wow. not listening to people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm just shooting straight, bro. I, I changed wow. mentally, yeah. politically, theologically. I changed. It was in the context that I changed because the way that I was thinking did not embrace the fullness of my humanity. Yes. And if our thinking and theology cannot embrace the fullness of our humanity, then we cannot experience, as Jesus would say, the fullness of our liberation wow. in Luke chapter four. If we can't embrace the fullness of our humanity, we can't embrace the fullness of our liberation. And how were you and not so being left, able to, um, in that space, how were you be, not being able to embrace the fullness of your humanity? What what was it that was keeping you from being able to embrace that? Because so much was at stake. Mm. So usually when we go into those spaces, it's to be in ministry. Absolutely. In order for you to be in ministry, you have to fit a certain type of desirability. Mm-hmm. So we have to talk about desirability. Wow. Who wow. is desired when it comes to who's in those spaces of power uh, and able to make decisions, is able to get on stage and preach and lead the people. So desirability, especially in those spaces, I would think, is fundamentally t- t- tied into white supremacy. Uh-huh. Desirability, uh-huh. who is desire? Who who do we want leading us and, and shaping us? At one point, bro, when I was, you know, kind of, you know, preaching, teaching, leading and things like that. I was, I was the type of person, you know, that people wanted to desire. But then when I started to read books by black folk yeah. and started to like, almost like Toni Morrison has this, this beautiful essay. It's like growing up black one more time. Mm. So when I started to read differently and to think differently and to talk differently, you know, it was almost like I was growing up black one more time and I got to choose the way I grew up in ways that did not like just attach whiteness to right rightness or, you know, this idea that we must view white folk and whatever white folks say with purity. But then we view whatever we say in a problematic lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that their theologians and their ways of worship is sacred. But yeah. then when we start doing our ways of worship and things like that and start talking the way we talk and, and thinking the way we think, then it's a uh, suspect. Mm-hmm. And so for me to, 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 to change and when I change, you know, it got to the point where I was just like, yeah, nah, I would rather not give people what they never deserved in the first place. And this, this is two things. Okay. Number one, trust with my humanity. Uh-huh. And number two, trust with my future. Wow. Because if we think about this country's history, especially we talk about white Christian spaces, you know, these spaces have never done a great job at embracing the fullness of black humanity and have never articulated a future where black people are not servants to whiteness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the yeah. tough. And that's just the tough. That's, tough. that's, that's just the tough history. Yeah. Uh, that, that, and that's, that and that's not to say. And that's not to say that. You know, you don't have people, individuals who are comrades in the struggle. Absolutely. There are so many people who are comrades in the struggle for the fullness of our humanity, for equality in our society. But the tough part is even this subset demographic of people who are white and will do what's right and want to think different and want to change what tends to happen, bruh. And this goes into what I was going to say about black folk who, who leave. Yeah. What tends to happen, bro, is that they're in so little numbers against those who do not want to change mm-hmm. that in some sense they they become depressed in the process. Yeah. And in some sense, they 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 lose their way yeah. uh, because the, the kind of battle 
for 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 a better world it always bends not in the line the universe mm. I, I know king wanted to say that but the universe does not bend towards justice mm. it's just not a fact like the universe does not bend towards justice the universe only bends with the way humanity takes it mm-hmm. and with the help of god if we can take it uh we we try as much as we can to bend it in the right way but the reality is human affairs bend towards the posture and the position of human ideas. And what we're trying to do as people is to embody the best of the capacity of our humanity and vision to envision something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have an alternative future, then I will remain embittered in the present. Wow. And that's what tends to happen with so many people is they stay in those spaces whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're Asian, they stay in those spaces and they have no alternative, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not their fault. Right. It's that alternatives are hard to build because number one, if you've been employed by that space, your margin, the older you get, the less you have margin to change and to dream again. So you think about so many ministry leaders got employed at 20 years old groomed all the way up until 29 changed at 30 and now left out to dry at 32 yeah got whole families need checks got health care dental care babies and so it's hard to dream when you know so much of your possibility has been built by a space that does not want to see you thrive mm. in the fullness of what you can become yes and yes. so then bitterness set in because mm-hmm. we can't think about anything better. And I, I don't know, bro. I just, no. I just, I, no, I, I want so much for us in, yes. in betterness. And yeah. Well, I don't okay. even know if that's a word. No, it's a, it's a word now. <laughs> it's a word now. And so, so, so tell us this, you know, I mean, I feel like we, we have, we've walked in this conversation to a space now where, um, where, yes, I, I would say that the person listening to this, that is sitting in um, white evangelical conservative America um, that that has thought to themselves and and has has been like man I've tried to be an ally I've tried to be a partner I've tried to mm. come alongside you know I mean I, you, think about this right I, and I, I see this on my Instagram every day right like during the summer of 2020 I had white people flocking to my account as you did too to hear mm. from um, you know men and women in America that are being that finally have a, have a platform to share. Listen, this has been our reality. Mm -hmm. This is kind of where we're at. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to fall of, or winter now of 2021. And, and, and those conversations have, have, have lessened. Why? Well, because, you know, we, we've, we've moved some structures around to where, you know, some things are better as a black man in America right now, because there's not blatant racism being spewed out on a daily basis on, you know, social media. So, so, but, but the, now suddenly the conversation when we have it, it's like, ah, well, I had that conversation in 2020. I, I, you know, I think mm-hmm. I'm going to bounce now. Thanks for, um, th- mm-hmm. thanks for letting me uh, be educated by your life for a few mm-hmm. months. And, um, and I'll, I'll take, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pick and choose. Tell us this from your point of view, where, yeah. where, wow. where can we build, where can the white evangelical space, um, how can it, build into a space where the full version of our humanity of a black man or black woman living in America's humanity is not Mm -hmm. only appreciated, but is thriving. And is it even possible Mm -hmm. in your mind? What, what is it going to take in order for Mm -hmm. those spaces for us not to just run away and be like, you know what? It ain't going to happen. I'm out, you know, peace out, you know, see you in a hundred years in heaven. No, like, like, like yeah. how give him some hope. Yeah. Like, like, like what's yeah. the hope that, that some people that yeah. are listening to this going like, well, I don't, you know, I feel called to this space. How, how can that re- thing be yeah. retooled and restructured in a place where yeah. it's, it views our humanity yeah. f- through the full lens of how Christ sees us? Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a great question. And so from my individual perspective, bro, I don't, I don't think it can happen, you know, on an institutional level uh-huh. um, because what has been built, it's too strong in some sense. Yep. It's it's it, it it functions with a certain type of immovable force. Yeah. Like and so one of the challenges is the the to shift that question in some sense to not necessarily how can the white evangelical space change, you know, to become more humane and better and more moral, more loving, loving. But the question is, you know, 
how can I as a white Christian shift my vision to to in some sense think about myself and to think about the world in ways that broaden the voices that I listen to? You know, because I don't think anybody can in some sense put together a a three point sermon and, a, <laughs> and an onboarding process, you know, that can, that can change, yeah, yeah. you know, something that has been built hundreds of years, yeah. you know, in some sense. And so, and so in some sense, I, I yeah, I, I, that's, that's, it's tough because I, I mean, I'm not in that space anymore. I'm, and it's I'm okay to say, it's a, it, I, well, what I, what I appreciate yeah. about it, it's okay to say like, bro, like, this isn't going to be like a year long, like, hey, hey, implement these yeah. four these four points and watch the white yeah, evangelical yeah. church become a place that is a safe harbor for the fullness of what a black man, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, because in some sense, I think, because to be honest about the reality is that in history, white Christians as as a as a demographic and, and one of the I, I, my field, my background's in sociology. Okay. So it, I, I work off, you know, generalizations. Generalizations are bad when they're not precipitated by knowledge okay. and experience. Generalizations are good when you have a history and experience and knowledge that you're working from. Okay. So in my experience and knowledge, and people can disagree with this, but in my experience and through the kind of knowledge I've gained, white Christians have been discipled and socialized to protect the world that will benefit their children more than they have been taught and socialized to imagine a world that benefits all. Mm. That, that's, that's, that's hard and it's strong. And that's just, it, yep. It, it's just, it's just when it comes to, and, and I mean like individual white people as, as have tried so hard and so many times to imagine something different. So then the question becomes with that knowledge, you know, number one, white people cannot reduce our lives to lessons. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot reduce the fullness of our humanity to simply the lesson that you can teach yourself to become more moral and better in our society. Number two, you can't just simply reduce our lives to simply talking about race and society. Like we hold multitudes, just like Toni Morrison. She said, you know, why does, why do, why do we got to simply write about this? But like, you know, (laughs) white men can write about the vastness of European life, but then we have to write certain type of books. Like there are many books, many ideas, many, many just experiences in black life or Asian American life or Hispanic life, you know, that are so vast and so, and so far. And so as you explore that world, the question begins to change. Wow. When you're not connected to a world, your question will always be about what can they teach you? Mm-hmm. When you're inside of a world, your questions will change to say, what can I explore in yeah. somebody else's story? Mm, that is, that and so is shifting, good. shifting, shifting the question. I would say to many of my white friends who still my white friends to this day, yeah. even mm-hmm. though, you know, you know, I, I I don't rock with white evangelicals like that. You know, yeah. I just you know I love I love individual white evangelicals, but on on an institutional level, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I just you know I, I had to chuck my deuces, you know, and my <laughs> friends who still my friends, you know, I, I love them, I will worship yeah. with them, and, yeah. and things like that. But I, I I that's that's the thing that I want for for those people, and then for black people, yeah, I want us to develop, you know, to go back to home, mm. to find home again. Because so many times we have went to everybody out else's house, yeah. taken things from their house, their their culture, and look back at our own and say, you're not worth my time or my investment. Wow. And how many people on an individual level will go into somebody else's house, enjoy it and praise it and say, look how wonderful it is, mm. and then return home and to believe that your home is nothing but destruction. Yeah, is less than. And so I'm reminded of 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 Sadia Hartman. She says that people oftentimes when they start talking about black life, they only see the disorder. Mm. But they do not see all the beauty. Yeah. And the ways that black people create life and turn chaos. This is beautiful. She says turn chaos and bare need into an arena of elaboration. And so I think that that's the type of work, self-respect, 
freeing our minds, freeing our spirits, freeing our bodies, taking on better voices, taking on better ways of naming the world, taking on better ways of imagining the world. And each one of us, as Jesus calls us to in our stories, will be able to hopefully one day tell a better story because that story has dealt with the inequity of power dynamics. It has dealt with the enduring nature of oppression. It has dealt with the ways in which we have a country that's full of Bibles, but so empty of love that would deal with the way people think proximity would change people's perspective when in actuality proximity gives people justification for their problems that would change a world that would in some sense believe that the best that our religion only has to offer is some type of abstract good news mm. when in actuality Jesus want us to embody a good world. Wow. That's what I want for us. Dante, that was the perfect conversation it, it it actually i feel like was was filled with hope in the midst of Indeed. a complicated conversation and so you know man i just i just appreciate you sharing your heart i i appreciate you sharing your family i appreciate your i appreciate your wife for you know what what yeah. she does for for me you know um yeah, she's and, amazing uh, bro she's yeah amazing. yeah man and so just thank you thank you for this conversation thank you um for just being who you are if people want to keep up with you you know, um, if people want to uh, follow along, maybe an uncomfortable conversation for them that, you know, I, I love how you said individual white evangelicals can still continue to step into, you know, the, these uncomfortable conversations. Uh, where can they do that? Yeah, just follow me on any social media is at Stuart Dante C. Um, and, and I will say, yo, like I, trust me, if, if people are just coming, you know, to hear about race, they're going to be woefully, woefully disappointed, uh, or whatnot. But if you're interested in thinking about like black literature and, yeah. and theology and, and a better world, that's kind of, that's kind of what I've intentionally tried to build my platform on. Cause I love like it. Baldwin says, bro, if you're just simply resisting, you can't create. Yeah. If you're yeah. simply just yeah, doing that. And yeah. so I, I want co-creators. I love like that. that. So follow me. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that. Yeah. Dante Stewart. Why you got to come so hard at us? Why you got to make us do some work? I love it. Man, Dante, you are, he is, I mean, I don't know if he's listening to this right now, so I'll just say he for us. Listen, as, as much as you got out of that conversation, I know this is one of those conversations that you're going to have to come back to over and over and over again, or you're going to have to pause a thousand times to take notes. Brilliant, brilliant, anointed voice for this time. Thank you, Dante, for sharing with the Human Hope family. Now, guys, it's time to do the work, right? It's time to go out and do the thing. Make this world a better place. There is hope, and I feel it. I feel it. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. We got big plans for the Human Hope Podcast in 2022. Huge plans. Uh, unfortunately, we only got one more episode until 2022. So next Thursday, it is the year finale of Human Hope. There are surprises that you are not going to want to miss. So please do me a favor. Subscribe, share, let your grandmama, let your auntie, let your uncle, let your cousins. Well, how about your two-year-old kid? Put it on their, I don't know what kind of devices two-year-olds use. Let them listen to the Human Hope Podcast. Let everybody get into the familia. I love you guys. I'm so grateful that you are part of this family. And I'll see you next week on another episode of Human Hope. <laughs>